Hi there, and welcome back to Out There, a cryptid podcast. I'm your host, Josh. Each week, I come out with a new episode focused on a cryptid that I find super fascinating and weird. And if you still don't know what a cryptid is, it is defined as an animal that has been claimed to exist but never proven to exist. Cryptids don't have to be supernatural or mythical beings. Although many of them are, some cryptids have actually become documented animals. Make sure you go and follow the podcast on Instagram, at OutThereCryptids, and check out the posts I make for each episode and maybe send some suggestions you'd like to hear. First off, there are so many new followers that come in every day, and I want to say hi to all of you. And also hi to my first, you know, long-time listeners. Your support is so amazing, and I want you to know that I notice it, and I love it. I don't have any information on joining the Out There team just yet, but I've got big plans coming up that may even include some merchandise. I do have one announcement that is ready to go, though. So, you know how on Instagram we used to post a picture of whoever was appearing on the Weird Club for that episode? Well, since Weird Clubs haven't been as frequent as they were before, I've had to fill that space with either Penny or me, and I don't know about you, but I'm getting tired of seeing my face so much up there. So, in its place, I am looking for artists or creatives alike to fill that spot. I'm looking for sketches, poems, collages, whatever you want of the cryptid for the upcoming episode. Since we announced the cryptid the week before, you will have time to get it ready. Now, since we post the night before, usually I will need them submitted by that Monday of the week. So, for example, for the next episode, submissions must be in by Monday, August 9th. I am so excited to see what you come up with. Submissions can be sent to either the Instagram or our email, outthereacryptedpodcast at gmail.com. And also, just to let you know, there will be no episode on August 4th, so next week. So use that time to go catch up on missed episodes or re-listen to your favorite ones. Might I recommend Lake Champlain Monster? Because that one has some really good evidence, and Jenna's also hilarious as per usual. Okay, sorry, I talked a lot at you, and now let's get to the real reason we all are here. Today's cryptid is a Native American evil spirit that was created from committing the worst possible sin. A creature that stalked and hunted people who were alone in the woods of northern North America. An entity that goes much deeper into the psyche than you'd think. Today, we are talking about the Wendigo. There is no weird club today, just me. Let's dive in. In the thick forests of northern North America lives a Native American legend. The creature is said to live in the dense wilderness between Minnesota up to central Canada. Now the origins of this cryptid are very clear. It comes from the Native American lore of the tribes from the north. The Wendigo can be found in Algonquin, Ojibwe, Eastern Cree, Salto, West Maine, Swampy Cree, Nascapi, and Innu peoples' history. Because of these several different variations, there are more than 30 different names for this cryptid, but we will stick with the most common one. And even with this one, there are two different spellings. There is the W-E-N-D-I-G-O spelling, or the W-I-N-D-I-G-O spelling. Either way, each name roughly translates to the evil spirit that devours mankind. Creepy, right? And if that wasn't creepy enough, the description of this beast will surely send shivers down your spine. The Wendigo is described to have glowing eyes with an overly long tongue. 
It looks somewhat humanoid, but clearly isn't. It sometimes is described to have shallow, yellowish skin, but other sightings report it being covered with matted hair. Long, yellowed fangs stick out of its bloody mouth. Their lips are often chewed, ragged, or completely gone, and long claws hang from their hands. Now, they are astonishingly tall and look emaciated, but that is just their physical description. These creatures are reportedly near-perfect hunters. They move at incredibly fast speeds and can run across treetops while making a horrible, shrieking sound that makes you freeze in your tracks. Apparently, one way to know you're in the presence of one is this foul odor. Plus, sometimes it brings on a sudden snowstorm. Now, this opens up the more supernatural side of this cryptid. Wendigos can control the weather through their use of dark magic. They have these powers because they are spirits who have possessed a human being and made them become monstrous. They also apparently have a heart of ice. Now, there are depictions of this creature having horns, but this is actually false, according to original legends. Apparently, there is no evidence of this in all the Algonquin people's versions. The horned beast came from a movie titled Wendigo in 2001. The director pulled inspiration from scary stories to tell in the dark and adapted it into his own interpretation. He even admitted that he didn't do any research on the Wendigo until after the movie, which is just not the smartest decision, but we'll gloss over that. What I find very fascinating about this cryptid is that apparently once transformed, it has no gender. Even though they are created from humans, they become so inhuman that they lose every fiber of their being. There is one popular belief on how someone becomes these evil spirits, and that is when a human turns to cannibalism to survive. So, when a person eats human flesh, this dark spirit takes over their body. But in some legends, you also don't have to physically become one. According to native legends, some communities believe it can be caused by a spiritual imbalance or by choosing to prioritize the self over the community. Other versions of the legend say that a human who displayed extreme greed, gluttony, and excess could also be possessed by a wendigo. Okay, so now that you know all about these beasts, let's get into the sightings. Of course, we start with the original Algonquin myth. This is from cryptidsfandom.com. The storm lasted so long that they thought they would starve. Finally, when the wind and swirling snow had died away to just a memory, the father, who was a brave warrior, ventured outside. The next storm was already on the horizon, but if food was not found soon, the family would starve. Keeping his knife and spear close, he ventured out upon the most frequently used game trail, watching intensely for some sign in the newly fallen snow of animal footprints or movement of any kind. The forest lay deep and oddly silent under its gleaming coating of ice and snow. Every creature of sense lay deep within its burrow and slept. Still, the warrior hunted, knowing how desperate his family had become. As he moved through the eerie stillness, broken only by the soft caress of the wind, he heard a strange hissing noise. It came from everywhere and nowhere at once. The warrior stopped. His heart was pounding. That was when he saw the blood-soaked footprints 
appearing on the path in front of them. He gripped his knife tightly, knowing that somewhere watching him was a Wendigo. He had learned about the Wendigo at his father's knee. It was a large creature as tall as a tree, with a lipless mouth and jagged teeth. Its breath was so strange, hiss, its footprints full of blood, and it ate any man, woman, or child who ventured into its territory. And those were the lucky ones. Sometimes the Wendigo chose to possess a person instead, and then the luckless individual became a Wendigo themselves, hunting down those they had once loved and feasting upon their flesh. The warrior knew he would have just one chance to prevail over the Wendigo. After that, he would die, or the thought was too terrible to comprehend. Slowly, he backed away from the bloody footprints, listening to the hissing sound. Was it stronger in one direction? He gripped his spear in one hand, knife in the other. Then the snowbank to his left ruptured as a creature as tall as a tree leapt out at him. He dove to one side, rolling into the snow so that his clothing was covered, and he became hard to see in the gray twilight of the approaching storm. The Wendigo whirled its massive frame, and the warrior threw the spear. It struck the creature's chest, but the Wendigo just shook it off as if it were a toy. The warrior crouched behind a small tree as the creature searched the torn-up snow for a trace of him. Perhaps one more chance. The Wendigo loomed over his hiding place, its sharp eyes seeing the outline of him against the tree. It bent down, long arms reaching. The warrior leapt forward, and as if to embrace the creature and thrust his knife into its fathomless black eye. The Wendigo howled in pain as the blade of the knife sliced into its brain cavity. It tried to pull him off of its chest, but the warrior clung to the creature, stabbing it again and again in the eyes, the head. The Wendigo collapsed to the ground, bleeding profusely, almost crushing the warrior beneath its bulk. He pulled himself loose and stared at the creature, which blended in with its white surroundings so well that he would not have seen it, except for the blood pouring from its eyes and ears and scalp. Then the outline of the creature grew misty, and it vanished, leaving only a pool of blood to indicate where it had fallen. Hacken, the warrior, heart pounding with fear and fatigue, turned for home. He was weakened by lack of food, but knew that the storm would break soon, and he would die if he did not seek shelter. At the edge of the wood, he found himself face to face with a red fox. It was a fat old creature, its muzzle lined with gray. The creature stood still, as if it had been brought to him as a reward for killing the Wendigo. With a prayer of thanksgiving, the warrior killed the fox and took it home to his starving family. The meat lasted for many days until the final storm had blown itself out, and the warrior could safely hunt once more. Crazy, right? What's interesting about this story is that we get both the supernatural and the cryptid versions in one. We see that this thing can disappear within a second, but it also bleeds, just like a regular animal. 
And with this story, we get the sense that these are near-perfect hunters. That is, until a story began spreading throughout the tribes that showed a side of the Wendigo that no one knew about. Maybe these creatures were more human than we believed. Intelligent creatures that have the ability to make long-term decisions. One time long ago, a big Wendigo stole an Indian boy, but the boy was too thin. So the Wendigo didn't eat him up right away, but he traveled with the Indian boy waiting for him to get fat. The Wendigo had a knife, and he'd cut the boy on the hand to see if it was fat enough to eat. But the boy didn't get fat. They traveled too much. One day, they came to an Indian village, and the Wendigo sent the boy to the village to get some things for him to eat. He just gave the boy so much time to go there and back. The boy told the Indians that the Wendigo was near them, and showed them his hand where the Wendigo had cut him to see if he was fat enough to eat. They heard the Wendigo calling for the boy. He said to the boy, hurry up, don't tell lies to those Indians. All of them went to where the Wendigo was and cut off his legs. They went back again to see if he was dead. He wasn't dead. He was eating the juice or marrow from the inside of the bones of his own legs that were cut off. The Indians asked the Wendigo if there was any fat on them and he said, you bet there is. I have eaten many Indians. No wonder they are fat. So they killed him and cut him to pieces. That was the end of the giant Wendigo. So this brings up a big question. Is the Wendigo an intelligent spirit or is it just on the hunt for human flesh? I mean, there's a big difference, but we don't really get an answer, which only makes this cryptid more terrifying. Now, it wasn't until the 17th century that the Wendigo appeared in writing. In Jesuit records from 1661 titled Jesuit Relations, it states, What caused us greater concern was the intelligence that met us upon entering the lake, namely that the men deputed by our conductor for the purpose of summoning the nations to the North Sea and assigning them a rendezvous where they were to await our coming, had met their death to previous winter in a very strange manner. Those poor men, according to the report given us, were seized with an ailment unknown to us, but not very unusual among the people we were seeking. They are afflicted with neither lunacy, hypochondria, nor frenzy, but have a combination of all these species of disease, which affects their imaginations and causes them a more than canine hunger. This makes them so ravenous for human flesh that they pounce upon women, children, and even upon men like veritable werewolves, and devour them ferociously without being able to appease or glut their appetite, ever seeking fresh prey, and the more greedily, the more they eat. This ailment attacked our deputies, and as death is the sole remedy among those simple people for checking such acts of murder, they were slain in order to stay the course of their madness. What I find interesting about this textual evidence is the fact that it is written from the perspective of someone just retelling what they were told, rather than the story itself. 
because from this we can see a more human side to these sightings. This seems to be talking more about the malevolent psyche aspect of this cryptid, where they might not completely be inhuman yet. Either way, this was the first time white settlers heard or spoke of these beasts. But the next big event in the Wendigo story comes in the 1870s, and it accelerates this cryptid into a very realistic world, one that involves a family's life that was forever changed. It's the story of a man named Swift Runner. He was born in Alberta, Canada as Kai Kisi Kutchen. He and his family of six children were very popular in the Cree community. In 1875, Swift Runner was a trapper and a guide for the Northwest Mounted Police. Unfortunately, he began drinking, and when he drank, he became violent and angry. The police force fired him from his job, and to make matters worse, the tribe kicked him out due to his violent tendencies. But he and his family kept going. That was until two years later. Late fall of 1878, Swift Runner took his wife, his six children, his mother-in-law and brother out into the wilderness for a camping trip. But unfortunately, nobody came back. That is until the spring of next year, when Swift Runner appeared out of the woods to a Catholic mission. A priest found him and asked what had happened. He said his whole family was dead. Then he talked about how they got lost and couldn't find their way out, and through the bitter cold, they all started dying of starvation, one by one. But the priest noticed something odd. Swift Runner was a large man, standing over six feet tall, and he looked very well fed. But he was accepted into their settlement, where they gave him food and shelter. But the suspicion never went away. Swift Runner would wake up every night screaming in terror. The last straw came when he was caught trying to bring a group of children into the woods. That priest went to the authorities and told them all about Swift Runner's emergence from the woods, looking healthy and about the children incident. The police took him into custody, where he was ordered to lead them to his winter campsite. Eventually, the police found the site and were horrified. Bones were scattered all around the site. Some were even broken. Some of them were hollowed out. And even worse, they found a pot full of human fat. This all meant one thing. Swift Runner ate his family. Now, Swift Runner had an explanation. He said he was possessed by the evil spirit of a Wendigo. It wasn't him that murdered his family, it was this beast. But the police did not take that as an excuse, so he went to trial in 1879, where he retold the same story, this time in front of a jury. After only 20 minutes of deliberation, he was convicted of murder and sentenced to death. On December 20th, 1879, Swift Runner was the first man legally hanged in Alberta, Canada. And right before he died, he gave a speech admitting to the crimes he committed, while maintaining that the Wendigo was there. This was just the beginning of the Wendigo trials. In 1897, there was a trial that became a landmark case for early Canadian law. It was named the Wendigo Killing. 
A man from the Ojibwe tribe was convicted of manslaughter after he shot someone whom he believed to be one of these evil creatures. This set the precedent for how situations were handled between tribal law and state law or common law. For example, in this case, his actions were acceptable by the tribe, but Canadian common law applied to all of the indigenous communities, even though there was no prior knowledge of this. But anyways, let's keep moving along the timeline. Between the late 19th century and the early 20th, there were a couple more cases of Wendigo killings and murder convictions. A man named Jack Fiddler claimed to have killed as many as 14 Wendigos. He was an OG Cree chief and medicine man. In 1907, Fiddler, along with his brother, were arrested in Canada for the murders. Fiddler committed suicide before the trial, and his brother was sentenced to life in prison. He was actually granted a pardon, but then died three days later, before he could hear the good news. Now, there is something that comes from this cryptid that actually became a real medical term. In the 1920s and 30s, Wendigo psychosis was popularized. The psychosis is reportedly a cultural-bound mental illness that apparently draws people to cannibalism or cannibalistic thoughts. It is said to occur mainly within people living in around the Great Lakes of Canada and the United States, and it is mainly in the winter months when people are isolated in the heavy snowstorms. The beginning signs of it are poor appetite, nausea, and vomiting, but there have been people who claimed they had the delusion of being transformed into a Wendigo monster. But it should be said that in the 70s, the whole diagnosis was brought into question. After looking over the research, experts realized that the condition was never fully studied. There were no subjects with the condition that were tested. Instead, it was a real event they decided must have been a mental illness. Apparently, even today, most scholars reject it completely. But that being said, I think this is probably the one and only time a cryptid's attacks were so real that they became a part of science and medical history. Okay, I bet you're getting antsy for some more stories. Well, don't you worry, because there's more to come. But before we get to those, I wanted to talk about one place. It's in northern Ontario, near the town of Kenorona. It is called the Cave of the Windigo. In this cave, there are cave drawings that seem to show a large humanoid figure. I've included it in the Instagram post. I will say, to me, it could really be anything. I would honestly believe that it is more like a Bigfoot rather than a mighty Windigo. The next piece of evidence is one that you'll love because it was caught on video. Fall of 2011. A man thought he was hearing strange noises from his property for the past few months. He lived miles away from the nearest town and was used to hearing all different kinds of noises that came from the woods. But the sound was very odd. He finally decided to go out and investigate one night. So he brought his camera with him and recorded the entire thing. But while he was recording, he caught something on camera in the brush. It's unclear what exactly it is until the creature lifts its head. That's when you can see its two glowing eyes. The man then screams in terror and runs away. Now, when he posted this online, he said he was convinced he saw an alien, but then 
Others started to point out the similarities to the Wendigo. This video is in the post, so make sure to check it out. But unfortunately, there really isn't any information provided with the video. No name, no location, no follow-up. But it is definitely creepy. And, of course, this wouldn't be a true out there episode if I didn't include a Reddit story. This post is from 2015 and was posted by the username u slash uanthanana. Here's what they said. When I was young, I often spent parts of summers with my grandmother in her home out in the country. It was my favorite place in the world, and I always looked forward to the week-long stays of gardening, baking, late-night fires with s'mores and ghost stories, and enjoying having my grandmother all to myself. There was a pond not far from her house where I would sometimes go to swim. It was home to quite a few frogs, and at night they made the most incessant noises. I complained to my grandmother only once, saying I couldn't enjoy the night breeze with all that racket. She took me on her lap and told me a story about an old man and woman who lived near a lake. The old man couldn't stand the singing of frogs, but his wife told him that they kept the wind to go away. To harm them would be unwise. Well, he didn't listen, and he set up, methodically, catching all the frogs on the lake. It was a process that took him some time, but he did not stop until he had rid the lake of the pesky amphibians. That night, Without the protection of the frogs, he and his wife were slaughtered by the Wintigo, a vicious, whip-like demon creature with elongated fingers ending in razor-sharp talons and rows of silver teeth as thin and keen as needles. I wrote it off as another of her ghost stories, though she seemed more serious than usual about it. I never complained about the frogs again, mostly because I grew to enjoy them and put the story out of my mind. In fact, I had forgotten all about it until it came this past spring in a Native American literature class I was taking in college. The mention of the Wendigo sparked the old memory of my grandmother's story. I thought she had made up the word. I didn't realize there were stories about it originating in Algonquin legends. Eager to connect something from my childhood to the topic, I googled it, only to find that my grandmother had apparently been mistaken. There was nothing I could find about the story she had told me, nor any reference of frogs providing protection from the Wendigo. In fact, the Wendigo legend seemed very little like my grandmother's version. They were said to be insatiable, craving human flesh, and sometimes created from the forms of people who had resorted to cannibalism to survive. Descriptions varied, but they sounded almost nothing like my grandmother's boogeyman version. I actually chuckled as I read it, almost a bit embarrassed by how badly my grandmother had messed up the original tale. I changed residence this summer, moving to a newly built 1,000 square foot on each side duplex on the edge of town. The other side is to be occupied by my landlady, who had the place built. However, she isn't scheduled to move the rest of her stuff in and begin living here for a couple of weeks. She's been waiting for her lease to end. Even though my new place is only a few minutes from the edge of town, it feels much more isolated. I enjoy the seclusion of my new home and its proximity to a more natural setting. I'm surrounded by woods, and from my patio I can even see a pond beyond the carefully landscaped lawn, which is meticulously carved out from the surrounding woodlands. 
Just like the pond near my grandmother's house, the frogs have put up a ferocious racket lately. I prefer not to pay to run my air conditioning if I can help it, so I have every window open to catch a breeze. That means I can hear them as clearly as if I were standing on the water's edge. It took a few days to get used to the noise, but I'm fine now. Just like I was those summers when I was young. In fact, the noise has been comforting to me during the stress of the move. Tonight is different. I find myself standing in my living room, staring at where the pond is. Though I can't see it in the dark, the air is eerily still and oppressively warm. But all my windows are shut, and I feel impossibly cold. I'd long since convinced myself that my grandmother's story had been a silly tale, a twisting of an old legend by irreverent storytellers. But for some reason, I have the most overwhelming sense of dread growing in the pit of my stomach. I don't know what to do. I'm trapped. Leaving my house means braving the darkness beyond my home. But I don't know if I'm going to be safe in here either. Good news is that we can assume this person is safe since they were able to post about it on Reddit. That being said, this story really does align with what this cryptid is supposed to do. They hunt, but they are so good at it you don't even see them coming. But even the best hunters can't stay hidden forever, especially with the invention of smartphones, because in 2019 someone caught what could be a Wintigo screaming on camera. November of 2019, in the Canadian wilderness of northern western Ontario, Gino Mikis was on a hunting trip with his wife and grandson. They were so deep in the woods that the closest town was about 50 kilometers, or more than 30 miles away. They heard strange noises coming from the dense brush. Mikis said they were just walking around when it let out the first scream. I thought it was a moose, but my mind changed when it screamed again and again. Mikus knows the animals of these woods. He has seen and heard moose, black bears, and even wolves. The scariest part was the fact that as they listened to the screams, it seemed like they were growing closer and closer to them. Mikus said we could hear it moving. It sounded kind of heavy. But my wife, she got scared, picked up our grandson, and started walking fast towards the vehicle. That is when Mikus pulled out his phone and started recording the sounds. And in the background, you can hear his grandson trying to replicate the sounds. But those howls sent chills down your spine. The video is on YouTube, and it has reached over half a million views. It is also in the Instagram post. It's a little hard to hear, so make sure to really listen because there is definitely some odd screaming coming from those woods. Now, some people claim that the sounds are that of a grizzly bear. The problem is that that species isn't native, nor has it been documented in the area. Others said it was a wolf or a pack of wolves. And believe it or not, some said that it's most likely a Bigfoot. Ontario's Ministry of Resources and Forestry, biologists were unclear what the sound was. Spokeswoman Jolanta Kowalowski wrote, Our biologists say it could be a larger mammal, for example a wolf, but because it's a considerably distance from the recorder, there is no way to know for sure. So, therefore, Wendigo isn't out of the question. Nor is a Bigfoot. And with that, why don't we get into some explanations? And I gotta say, 
I think you're going to be surprised. So, I have to be honest. There isn't a lot of evidence for this cryptid being real. In fact, in this case, there seems to be two very plausible reasons for why it isn't real. The first reason is that there might have been actually a misunderstanding when native people were explaining the Wendigo. Rewriting Apocalypse by Marlene Goldman says, One well-known mistake was traced to the compiler of a dictionary who entered the information regarding the word Wendigo and substituted the word ghoul for the appropriate word fool because he thought the native people meant ghoul. I mean, ghoul and fool are very, very different words. So perhaps the native people knew that starvation was a real issue, and when someone is faced with eating their loved ones, they'd be a fool to do so. There is another theory, though. The word windigo is very similar to another word, windogo, which means owl, because there were so many different languages Windogo can be translated as either owl or cannibal, depending on the dialect. Now, we know a little bit about owls from Owlman. They do attack people if they feel threatened. They aren't known to be scavengers, so it does seem unlikely that they would be picking at the meat of dead humans, but desperate times call for desperate measures. But either way, most anthropologists believe that the Windigo legend came after the native people had contact with the Europeans, and it was believed to be a response to the horrific violence unleashed on them by the white settlers. I mean, we all know how the native people were horribly treated and still treated to this day. Those are facts. This evil spirit could have been a way to scare white settlers away from their tribes, making up a monster that would hunt them down in the woods and eat their flesh. Could be the perfect way to be left alone. I mean, I wouldn't want to face down a windigo. There is another theory. This theory is the one I believe is probably at play here. This is a legend that means so much more than just a boogeyman's story. It taught people a lesson on survival. There are many different ways you can interpret the story, but the most common ones are the incarnation of winter, the embodiment of hunger, and the personification of selflessness. Either way, because of these stories, it taught people to always stick together during a blizzard. It also, more importantly, taught people the importance of preparation when going out into the winter. Making sure to have enough food, making sure the storage of the food was good, and probably most importantly, it taught people not to eat each other. Either way, the Wendigo is no stranger to the spotlight. They have been featured in television shows like Supernatural and Charmed. This cryptid was even in Marvel Comics. They also appear in two major video games called Fallout 76 and Until Dawn. I, of course, would love to believe they are real, and maybe they are. Maybe they are so good at hiding that not even modern technology will be able to find them. So, what do you think? Are Windigos really out there? We are on Instagram, at OutThereCryptids, so make sure to follow us and tell us all of your thoughts on the cryptids we cover and what you'd like to hear next. It would mean a lot to us if you go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. It's a great way for people to find the podcast and enjoy, just like you. Two weeks from today, I will be covering a cryptid case that sent not only a city, but an entire country into panic. The Battle of Los Angeles. See you then.
This episode was written and hosted by me, Josh, with logo designed by Jason Zykes and theme music from purpleplanet.com.